morning. I think I heard one person. Come on, try again. Good morning. Hey, cool. We're all alive. Hey, the kids can be dismissed to uh, junior church. And uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to break the mode uh, uh, too much. I do just have a quick announcement. We are actually two weeks away from Almond Days happening, and uh, there are a number of different uh, um, different opportunities for you to to be plugged in. We are. Uh, I don't think last year we had a float actually in the Almond Day Parade as Alpha Norman Bible Church, folks. I <laughs> I think we got five this year. Okay. If you've ever thought to yourself, well, Almond Days is kind of a little thing going on, folks, you want to come out. In fact, I want you to be in it, okay? Uh, and so there's actually, there's a few sign-up sheets uh, in the back that, uh, that we could use your help out with, so that's actually a great idea. Uh, we've actually got a church banner that we want a number of kids to be holding when it comes to the different Alfred Almond floats. And any other, of, uh, any other of the children that has their Olympian shirts, we would love them to be right up front there, I mean, leading the way in the, in the parade. So just to uh, put a little seed in your, in your mind about uh, how your, your, your young ones can be involved. And if, if they are thinking per chance, man, I ain't going to be in the parade because I'm going to miss the candy. Don't worry, we'll take care of you, all right? <laughs> okay? And... Uh, uh, so there's there's a number of different uh, things for you. There are uh, tables that need to be uh, that need to be manned, uh, a church table where we can just uh, answer questions. Uh, Epic, our teens are going to have a table. Olympians, balloons, popcorn, the works. So uh, if you would uh, consider how perhaps you might be able to help, yeah, we're not interested in perhaps you having to be there all day long. There's even a few time slots out there if you're saying, well, I can't be there because I got something going on, but I could be there for a couple of hours. That would be tremendous. That would be tremendous. And uh, I think we're, we're being a real blessing, actually, to the town of Allman. Uh, Ken and I have been to a couple of meetings, and, uh, and it's, been, it's been really good to see the looks on their faces of what we're going to do to try to serve our community. They've loved it. So um, don't leave me out there with my head to get cut off, okay? That's what I'm saying. I guess is what I'm saying. We could, uh, we could use your involvement. So thank you. Thank you, folks. Well, what a... This has, been a, this has been a crazy week for us. There's been plenty of we're, that's been going on. We were actually up in uh, Niagara, uh, our family, and a, a young man was getting uh, married uh, up there. Uh, he's a young man that uh, grew up in a, in a Word of Life ministry out, uh, out by Olean, and uh, we just watched him go through high school, some of the challenges that he went through, uh, watched him go off to college, really get a heart for God, and then... Uh, uh, just watch him grow and change, and uh, he had a passion to go to Brazil as a missionary full-time uh, with, uh, with Word of Life, but he's a single guy. That's kind of a challenging road for a single young man to take off and go on his own, so the Lord provided another young lady who has a passion to go with Word of Life to Brazil about an hour away from him. So they thought, well, this is a good deal. Let's get married and let's go together. So we... Uh, <laughs> We were up there for, uh, for that wedding yesterday, and uh, he asked, this is crazy, he asked me to sing in, uh, in his wedding. I don't sing a whole lot uh, anymore. In fact, the last, wed- the last wedding I sang at, uh, everybody laughed at me. I mean, out, I mean, like really loud, out loud. So do you remember this? I was standing right over there. This was for Alex and Janicki's wedding. Was anybody there for Alex and Janicki's wedding? Right, I was over here, I'm trying my best, you know, I'm thinking... <laughs> Jesus, help me get the notes, you know, make it good for them. 
and I can't see what's going on up here. And people are laughing out loud. And it was the, the, the wick. Yeah. See, you always light it beforehand so that it will light when you're doing, well, the, the, it had fallen down under the wax. I think it was Mike, was it you, Mike, that came to the rescue with a pocket knife and dug it out of there? And uh, so thankfully, nobody laughed at me too much yesterday, and we all got through it. They got married, and uh, it's, been, uh, it's been fun to watch someone that you've uh, uh, done your best to pour your life into and watch them uh, grow and change. And uh, there's, there's very few blessings to me that is just uh, greater than watching, watching somebody that you pray for and care for to go on for God. So between that young man, Jeff, and uh, my own daughter this morning, it's been, uh, it's been a real blessing. It's been, it's been great. Well, folks, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 41. We're going to look at Psalm 41 today. It's about 13 verses long. And uh, uh, I want to give you a little bit of uh, background information. Um, and I, I probably should have done this a few weeks ago when we first started looking at a couple of Psalms. Uh, many of you know that the Psalms are a, uh, they're a, a collection of, of Jewish poems and songs that Jews wrote throughout, the his, throughout their history about different things that were taking place. There's a number of different authors. Uh, David wrote many of them, Asaph, Moses even, uh, uh, even authored, uh, Solomon actually even authored uh, perhaps a couple of songs, uh, 127 for certain. But throughout their history, uh, in between the time of the Old and the New Testament, uh, all of those psalms were collected and, and gathered and put together and separated into five different books. I don't know if you know that, but from the Jewish perspective, the book of Psalms is actually five different, if you want to say, song books for, for them. Psalm, uh, Psalm 1 through, through 41 is actually book one. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Psalm 42, some of your Bibles say it's, it's book two. It's the beginning of book two. And that goes through uh, chapter 72 and, and so on until you get to the end. And uh, each book was compiled by priests during that time of, of the Testaments and, and separated this way. And uh, if you look at verse 13 of Psalm 41, uh, just to read it for you here, it says this. It said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. It's, a, it's kind of a concluding thought, you know, just a, a quick praise or just a quick doxology that those priests who were compiling the Psalms probably put there to end this collection. In fact, if you go to each of the end of the Psalms, you will find a concluding verse like that at the end of 72 and the rest of them as well. Um, I, I'm not just giving this just for history information. Uh, what we're going to look at is actually verses, uh, verses 1 through 12. It's probably what David penned and, uh, and authored. So uh, don't worry, I'm not trying to avoid any particular verses or text here. We're going we're gonna to stop at about verse 12 because that's where, uh, I think that's where David probably in. I'm not saying verse 13 is not a part of the canon. Uh, I don't believe that. I do think it is part of the, part of the canon. Uh, there are other books of the Bible that actually had a couple of authors. Why not now? So uh, we're going to look at verses, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, some commentators, they don't, take, uh, they don't take much of a stab at you know, what the scenario is for uh, Psalm 41. Uh, some see it as a, a, a general psalm of uh, thoughts and truths. Uh, but I think David is remembering a specific time 
uh, in his life, at actually a very challenging time in his life, um, there's, there's a couple of times, and you go ahead and shout it out to me, there's a couple of times when David was being pursued or chased in the wilderness. Who are, who are those two people? Saul was one of them. There was another one. Absalom. Great, great, great family, all right? It's his family that's actually trying to run him down and kill him. Well, Psalm 41 happens right around the time when David just begins to flee from Absalom, from his son. And I want to kind of set the stage for you here a little bit as we, as we look at that. You're talking about 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 15, and it really brings this psalm to life and gives you a perspective. But uh, just, to, just to set the stage, uh, for the most part, uh, David, as godly of a man as he was, as much as we would like to inspire to have a heart for God like David did, for the most part, uh, he was a pretty... He was a pretty ineffective father, okay? Uh, he made a, and if you had eight wives, you know, you and I probably wouldn't do such a great job either. But uh, uh, he really, and that is what the prophet Nathan pronounced to him because of his sin with Bathsheba. There would be unrest in his household uh, uh, because of that. But just to set the stage to Psalm 41, basically his son Absalom kills his half-brother Amnon. After he kills uh, Amnon, uh, Absalom takes off out of Jerusalem. He flees, and he's gone. He's gone for three years. Now, during this time, uh, the Scriptures tell us and reveal to us, even though David knows that his son is deceitful and, 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 and killed Amnon, the, the Scripture says he still has a heart for Absalom. You know, he, he still desires his son, okay, to, to be back. Um, David lets Absalom come back into the kingdom. Now, this is really key when it comes to the story, when we're looking at Psalm 41. Absalom comes back, but for two years, David actually never talks to him, never goes in and actually sees the king's face. You can imagine, perhaps, as, as a son getting let back in the kingdom, but never being able to talk to dad at all about what happened or the conflict or things being, things being rectified. Well, during that time, what we see is Absalom gains the favor of Israel. You might remember the scene where, where uh, Absalom, you know, sets up, sets up camp just outside the gates. And uh, in essence, he, he runs his father down. He says, hey, my dad ain't going to take care of things. I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing, by the way. Um, you come to me, I'll solve your problems, I'll solve your court cases. And he begins to win the favor of the people of Israel. Uh, he plots to become king in Hebron, to, for that to be announced. And uh, in reference to this psalm, uh, specifically another key thing that happened is, is David's key counselor and trusted counselor, Ahithophel, he gains, Absalom gains Ahithophel's favor and Ahithophel leaves David to go inside with Absalom. So that's the, that's the stage. That's the scenario that we're looking at, all right? So let's dive in, dive into Psalm 41, and let's take a look at, uh, at what is happening in David's life and David's heart. Here's what it says. Blessed is he who considers the poor, for the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. 
I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks vain words. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. And when he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. And by this I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. And as for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. That's Psalm 41. Now, uh, you've got an outline there, and this, uh, this isn't going to be too complicated this morning, but look at, uh, look at verses 1 and 2, and we're going to look at David's implore, if you want to say. David is looking for God's favor. And so that first blank in your outline is David's implore. David is seeking the Lord's favor. Uh, because of how he has treated the poor in the past. In fact, he says there in verse 1, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. David's in a time of trouble. And in essence, he is beseeching God's grace and God's favor when it comes to how he has treated the poor in the past. Uh, a great example of that is, is uh, I love these great Old Testament names. A great example is Mephibosheth. All right, Mephibosheth was... Uh, Saul's grandson, and actually his closest friend, Jonathan. Mephibosheth is his son. And back then, when somebody took over the kingdom, there's a, there's a really interesting custom that was culturally acceptable, if you want to say, when it came to taking over a kingship from a different line. So what you did is you rounded up all the family members of the previous king, and you... That's right, they're gone, all right? Because you don't, you don't want anybody else coming up, you know, saying, I have the right to align to this throne. And I think it's interesting. You know what? That's, that's not what David did at all. In fact, he did just the opposite. Mephibosheth often ate at David's table, and he took care of Mephibosheth. He made sure Mephibosheth got the land that was his and that he could actually make a living off of it. Mephibosheth was... Crippled. I'm not saying that name again, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he, am I doing okay? Uh, he was crippled in both of his feet, and there was just not a lot that he could do. But I think perhaps this is a scenario that he is remembering about how he has treated the poor and about how he, how he took care of him. And David is actually seeing the exact opposite to him. Absalom was looking to, <laughs> looking to kill him and looking to take over, take over the kingdom. And in verses 1 and 2, I think it's very, very clear that we see David is in a time of trouble. He is, he, is either, he is either fleeing Jerusalem or he is about ready to flee Jerusalem. In my opinion, I think, I think David is recalling the time when he was just about ready to flee Jerusalem as he writes, as he writes Psalm 41. Now, look at, uh, look at verse 3, and here's what it says. The Lord will strengthen him. On his bed of illness, you will sustain him on his sickbed. 
So what you see here in David's life is David is, David is sick. He is, not, <laughs> he is not feeling well. And there's been some different ideas as to what his sickness might have been. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a depression. It was just a, a sickness of his, his heart or he was heavy laden that way. I personally think there was some type of illness that was besetting David. I think it was some type of a physical uh, illness. This, this particular word for, uh, for illness, it can be translated to have grief or to have sorrow, uh, but it is also translated a disease. And most of the time it's actually referring to a physical type of a disease, a physical sickness or, uh, uh, or illness. And... Uh, I, I don't even want to speculate as to what it was that David was experiencing, what it was. Obviously, healthcare, healthcare back then isn't what it was now. In fact, maybe they have it a little better. Um, but David is ill. I mean, he is sick. So he's not only got the weight of the betrayal of his son, but now he's, now he's sick and perhaps is already thinking, I got, I got to get ready to leave. And here he is in his sick bed. <laughs> and if you've ever been there, you don't feel like moving a muscle. And he's wondering, what, <laughs> what am I going to do? And uh, uh, I, I don't think, again, that it was more so a sickness of his heart. Da- David was a pretty passionate person. David, I mean, David lived life. Even in his latter years, he was, uh, he was getting things ready for the temple to be built. I mean, there was much to do. I mean, he was collecting money. He was collecting um, uh, supplies, things to build the temple and get things ready, and Solomon would actually build the temple. So if, if David is in his sickbed, and some of you can testify this to your parents or to your grandparents, if mom or dad is in bed <laughs> and bedridden, they must be feeling pretty lousy. <laughs> I, I think perhaps that was a little bit about David too. And when you get to this point where David is, there, there, there's really not a whole lot you can do but, but pray and beg God for his, break, for his grace. And I don't know if you have ever been in that scenario, but for me, when I'm experiencing that kind of situation, I, I, take, I try to take a good look at myself. I'm like, man, God, what is, I just went out of this. Is there anything happening in my life that I'm not paying attention to? Is there something you're trying to get my attention for? And I, I think that's Psalm 41. I think that's what David is doing. Now, take a look. Take a look at verse 4, and let's look at David's iniquity. And here's what he says. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. So not only is David experiencing the, the heaviness of being sick in Absalom, but there's some, type of, there's some type of sin that David has been dealing with in his heart and considering as he's there in a sickbed. And uh, per, uh, some people have considered that it was his sin with, his, his sin with Bathsheba. I, I, I personally don't necessarily think that's the case. That was quite a bit earlier. Uh, and I can't really be dogmatic about what that sin was. Perhaps he was thinking about his failings as a father as you go through that scenario Perhaps that's what he's recalling. Like I said, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but there is some type of a sin that David is wrestling with and dealing with, and he's finally coming to grips with it, and he's finally, he's finally dealing with it. And uh, I, think, I think David is acknowledging why he is physically sick 
and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, I think he's talking about why he feels so well. I think it's because there was a sin in his life. Now, I want you to know, I'm not advocating at all that every sickness or every illness or every ailment or whatever the case may be is a direct result of sin. I I don't buy that. Uh, We've been learning down in ABF in the book of Job that there was a great amount of illness and sickness and difficulty that came in Job's life, and he was righteous in the beginning. Uh, By the way, I mention that because I hope you understand there are Christians that do believe that. But I don't think that that is the scenario uh, with David. I think David is acknowledging that there was a sin in his life, and he is dealing with it in, in Psalm 41. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 actually makes it very clear that there were some people who were sick and had even fallen asleep because of a sin issue in their heart. So I, I think that that, I think that it happens. Folks, I want to be careful we don't, you know, we don't start pointing the finger <laughs> or considering, oh, what did they do wrong? You know, when somebody is experiencing a sickness or a difficulty, I, I, don't, I don't think we do that. But personally, I can testify to you today. I, I am convinced a few times in my life when I believe God has brought some physical difficulty in my life to, hey, hey, it's time to wake up, that there was a physical type of a discipline in order for me to consider my life, in order for me to consider, you know, what... What am I doing? Am I, am I truly pursuing him with, with my whole heart? Um, 1 Corinthians 11 actually says it well. It says each one should examine their own selves. I, I think that's a good practice. It doesn't mean every sickness is a result of sin, but I think it's worth considering ourselves when that happens. Now, this is fantastic. In verse 4, I love what he says here. I said, Lord, be merciful to me, and heal my soul. See, if, if David is sick for some other reason, I, I don't think David would have prayed what he prayed. When, when your body feels lousy, when you're sick, when you're ill, you know what you pray for? You know what you say? Say, God, make my body get better. <laughs> I want to get healthy again. I want to get out of this bed. You see what David prays for? I, want, I need my soul healed. That's what I need. <laughs> I need my heart changed. And I, I, I think that's one of the clues that, that I see that this is one of the reasons why the Lord has allowed these difficulties to, to come into his life. Um, and I think David was humble enough to acknowledge that that's what God was doing. Um, again, when, when, when life gets difficult, when life gets desperate and challenging, uh, and my goodness, there, there's just, I hope you're, I hope you're like this. There's just no more room for pride left. <laughs> and David focuses on the one thing that is the most important thing in his life that's paining him. It's his heart. It's his soul. That's what I need. That's what I need healing for. That's David's iniquity. Now, look at, uh, look at verses 5 through 8, this whole section. And we want to uh, look at David's instigators, if you want to say. David's instigators. Verses 5 through 8, he says, My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks vain words, and his heart gathers iniquity to itself. And when he goes out, he tells it. 
Now, this is really an interesting situation. David is, uh, David is saying he's visited by his enemies. That's what helps me to get the picture a little bit about what is going on. David is bedridden. I don't think he has probably quite fled the palace yet, but I get this picture in my mind of David in his chambers and being sick in bed, and there's people that are attending him, his servants or other people that have different positions in the palace that have the ability to come in and out. And he's sick in bed. He's as miserable as can be. And David's approval rate, if you want to say, is dropping fast. And all it takes, all it takes is a few words of gossip, whether it's true or not. And all of a sudden, David starts losing a foothold, if you want to say, on his rule in the kingdom of God, or I'm sorry, in in Jerusalem. Um, And these these people are continuing their duties in uh, in his presence. Uh, I think it's really interesting what... What verse 7 says, he says, all who hate me whisper together against me. And so this gossip, it just, it's just this, this poisonous fog, <laughs> if you want to say, that spreads throughout the kingdom in Jerusalem and is beginning to make its way out across, across the land. And, I, and it's interesting as they speak, verse 8, an evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now, now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. People are getting this perspective. He's dead. I've seen this before. When somebody gets bedridden like that, they're a goner. And so you know what people are doing? They're trying to take sides. Now, I got to make sure I outlast what's going on here. <laughs> I, better, I better make sure I'm in good with, I better make sure I'm good, I'm good with Absalom because David's about, this is about over for for David. Um, and I, I love what verse 7 says, all who hate me whisper together against me. Can you picture David perhaps being in his bed, feeling as lousy as he is, the, the, the weight of the nation, the weight of his son, the weight of his sin? And you can see maybe off in the distance, you know, where the doors are at, two people, you know, whispering beside themselves. Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever seen two people whispering and you just know, (laughs) you just know they're talking about you, all right? You just, your ears are burning just a little bit. I I think that's what David is seeing here. I'll never forget the particular commercial that I saw. It is for a, it's for a listening device. It's called Sonic Ear, if you've ever seen this commercial. And one of the ways they're marketing it is there's a gal off into a corner and she's got sonic ear on. And the way they're marketing it is to say that, you know, now you can hear, you know, the conversation right over there because this listening device device helps so much. And in the corner, they've got two ladies. Oh, she just looks so wonderful now and she's lost so much weight and she just looks fantastic in that dress. And uh, I remember remember, uh, what somebody said to me. I'm not sure who said it, but this is what they said. Whispering is not for compliments. (laughs) Whispering is, you know, if it was a compliment, they would say it to your face. If they're whispering, you don't want to hear what they have to say about you. And that's what, that's what David's experiencing. Um, now, if the burden wasn't heavy enough, look at, uh, look, at verse, look at verse 9. And if you want to say this is David's injury or something that is very, very heavy on him. Verse 9 says this, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, 
has lifted up his heel against me. Uh, so there is somebody incredibly close to David, somebody that has betrayed him, so to speak. And do, do you just see, you know, do you just see, you know, a, a barbell of weight being stuck on David's shoulders? And then somebody comes along and piles on another one <laughs> and another one and another one. Have you ever been in that scenario where you almost, you're almost praying and looking up to God and think, you know, really? <laughs> I mean, isn't this enough? I mean, isn't what I'm going through, you know, challenging enough? God, I, I, I get it. But that's, that's where David is. And I can't be perfectly uh, certain about who this particular person is, but Ahithophel fits this description really, really well. Uh, Absalom has gone off to Hebron to proclaim that he is now king in Israel. And we do know that, that uh, Ahithophel was there in, in Hebron. David knows he's been scheming on his sick bed, uh, Absalom, and you can imagine what he does. He, he's sitting there thinking, "I just, you know what? I need some advice. I need someone to talk to. Hey, can can somebody go get me? Can somebody get me a Hithophel? Uh Well, David, he's not he's not here. Well, well, where is he? He's he's in Hebron with Absalom, <laughs> and." And this heart that you think could not sink any further, you know, plummets one more level. Uh, in fact, to try to give you a perspective, a little bit of what David is experiencing, uh, I want us to, uh, to turn over to look at a passage in the New Testament. Turn to John chapter 13, verse 18. Uh, this is actually very key to, to this psalm. John chapter 13, verse 18. You can keep your thumb there in Psalm 41 because we're going to be back there. But here's, here's what Jesus says in John 13, verse 18. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I, I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Who's Jesus talking about? Judas. That's right. In fact, I, Jesus is quoting this verse, verse 9. From Psalm 41, as David is writing this, he is actually writing prophecy at the same time. At least this particular verse, it is a prophecy where it is simultaneously true of what David was experiencing and was also going to be true of what would happen between Jesus and Judas. And you might say, well, that's a, that's a stretch. That doesn't seem so. Well, there's one little phrase in the book of John that says this specifically, that the scriptures may be fulfilled that's that's a prophecy <laughs> and that is jesus's words um, so as you consider perhaps the greatest betrayal that has ever happened ever happened on the face of the earth judas to jesus that's what david is feeling like with this close friend that betrays him now let's look at uh let's look at some of david's intentions in verses 10 and 11 we're just about there, folks. Hang with me, all right? Verse 10 says this, But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Uh, when David says that I may repay them, this, this word repay, uh, is, uh, it's a very diverse word in the, in the Hebrew language. It carries with it the idea of peace or something to be finished or something to be at, at an end so that I may 
finish something. Uh, here's, a, here's a couple of thoughts. Uh, it could mean that I might have peace with them uh, or that I might, I might have an end with this situation. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think this is a little bit about what he's saying, that I might bring an end <laughs> to them. Um, uh, I don't think David is thinking about a sinful type of, uh, type of revenge. I think this is a very humble passage, and some, there's some repenting that David is doing in this text about his own sin. But the best way I can try to describe it to you is this, is David is still king. He is still king in Israel, and when people betray the king, there's consequences for it. And David has got to deal with the folks that have that have betrayed him. And that, that sense of loyalty, let me say it like this, to the king's anointed, to God's anointed, if I should say it like that, is incredibly important to David. It was to him when he was with Saul. David was very loyal to Saul. And, and Saul was trying to kill him. But David was still very, very loyal to Saul. So I think David understands there is a, there is a reckoning <laughs> that's coming to the people that are, that are betraying them. Um, I, I think David was the exact opposite of, of Saul in many ways. David cared for the people, uh, but he's not foolish either. <laughs> We've got to take care of business when, when the time comes. In verse 11, uh, if I could translate very loosely verse 11, I basically, I think he's saying this, well, my, my enemies haven't killed me yet. <laughs> uh, I'm still here. I'm still kicking. And I think David believes that the Lord would, would raise him up again, would, would bring a healing to him. And now we come, we come to verse 12, which I think, in my opinion, is uh, the great, great lesson that you and I can take away from this particular psalm. It's this. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. He says, you uphold me in my integrity. And there's, there's very few people around David that are living with integrity. In fact, it's scheming. It's scheming all around him. In fact, David is even dealing with his own integrity at the time. There is some type of a sin that is besetting him. And he's, got, and he's working through it himself to be honest before God in a uh, a great definition for integrity that somebody mentioned to me is this. You've probably heard it before, but it says this. It's honesty when nobody knows but you and God. That's integrity. <laughs> even, even when I'm convinced that I might be able to get away with something and nobody's going to know about it, integrity says <laughs> God knows always. <laughs> he always knows. And David is saying that God will uphold him in his integrity. And by way of application, here's a couple of interesting thoughts. Verse 12, it says, you hold me in my, you uphold me in my integrity. In this, in this miserable, difficult time that David is, you know what David's doing? He's trying to protect the only thing he's got going for him. And that's this. It's his relationship with God. <laughs> Everything else is crumbling around him. But one thing that I can, one thing that I have left is this. It's my relationship with God. 
And perhaps there was even a time when David wasn't even experiencing the joy of that because of his sin. Folks, as we talk about integrity and an honesty before God at all times, do you you understand that when we tolerate sin, I mean, how miserable of a place that is. (laughs) In fact, the biggest treasure, if you know Christ as your Savior, is your relationship with God. And do you understand that's, that's strained? at the time. Talk about a dark, ugly place for somebody that loves God to be. In fact, 1 John talks about that when we tolerate sin, we're not only out of fellowship with God, but we're also out of fellowship with everybody else that is walking with God. I mean, there's, there's, there's nobody left. And what David has finally come to the conclusion is, is this, I got nothing left, but... God, I have got to get my heart straight and right before him and walk in and walk in integrity. And that's what David is describing. And one of the things that I think is interesting is David calls it my integrity. I I personally, I like, I, I believe wholeheartedly that it's God who gives us the strength to live a life of integrity. It's God who works in me. That if there's anything good that comes out of my heart, it's all God that does it. So I don't, I, I don't want to try to take credit for anything, but David calls it my integrity. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 11, he actually does the, the same thing, the same phrase. It's my integrity. And the integrity belongs to the person. And, and, and it occurred to me, if the integrity belongs to the person, to you or to me, then the responsibility does too. You and I are responsible to live a life of integrity. It's not whether God has been working in my heart enough. It's he, I, he always is. If there's anybody that is, that is faithful and working in my life, it's God. It's actually my response to his working in my life that qualifies whether I am living a life of integrity or not. And you and I can exercise integrity in a couple of ways. One is this, is that as we come to a place where we are faced with a challenge, whether it's what we view online, whether it's what we watch on TV, whether it's how we speak to our, our brother, our sister, our spouse, whatever the scenario, integrity could mean this. When you are faced with a choice, integrity says this, even if you think you could probably get away with it and no one will know, Integrity says, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I want to walk with God. I want to, put, I want to elevate my relationship with him as the most important thing. And we say, I want to choose what God wants me to do. That's, that's one way you and I can live a life of integrity. That's ideal. But here's, here's the beauty of all of this. This is just great for, for me. I am so blessed by this. Here's another way that you and I can exercise integrity. When we sin... And we do, and we will. When we see it, we respond to it in a way that honors God. In fact, that's what we see exemplified for us in this psalm. When David finally becomes aware of his sin, he deals with it in a way that honors God by, by humbling ourselves, by confessing, by, by repenting. And, and you might say to yourself, well, how is, how is that integrity? If the person had integrity... You know, they wouldn't have sinned in the first place. But I want to share with you a particular text, if we can get that up on the screen. 
Psalm 32.5 says this. This is, this is so good to me. David says this. He wrote Psalm 32 also. It says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, integrity, integrity puts us back in fellowship with God. In fact, uh, as somebody who doesn't live a life of integrity, you can actually work through, this, work through this verse. Somebody that doesn't live a life of integrity, you know what they don't do? They don't acknowledge their sin to God. <laughs> Somehow we think that if, if nobody knows but me, then I'm getting away with it. If nobody knows but me, all right, I'm in the clear. And I, folks, I, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be mean. All I can tell you is, you know what? That's how, that's how two-year-olds think. <laughs> Okay, if mom doesn't know I did it, I'm okay. I can hide it somehow. And nothing could be further from the truth. We know God's omniscient, right? We know God sees everything. We know he's omnipresent. But somehow, each of us at one point or another seem to think that if nobody, no person knows, that we're still innocent. And nothing could be... Nothing could be more false. God always knows. And somebody that lives a life in, of integrity, they acknowledge their sin unto God. Somebody that doesn't live a life of integrity, look at this. You know what they do with their sin? They hide it. They don't want anybody to know. David says just the opposite. I will not hide it. I wanted to, I wanted to be known to God. I want to bring it out. I don't want to... Pre- keep up these pretenses that there's something in my heart that is not right before God. And he wants to bring it out. And the rest is true also. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I would admit it. I would go before him humbly and admit it. And here's the beauty is this, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When we don't live a life of integrity, do you understand that whatever it is we are not confessing before God you are not experiencing forgiveness for. We are walking out of fellowship with God. What an what a ugly place to be. <laughs> what an ugly place to be. And folks, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you so much to keep short accounts with sin. I mean, as soon as the Lord brings it to mind, our heart has got to say this. There is something that is more, more important than You know what David is saying? There's something more important than keeping my kingdom. (laughs) I got to deal with my heart before God. There's something more important than just my health, my body. I need my soul to be healed. (laughs) And that's what David finally elevates over everything else. And folks, some of us have played the game so long. We're so good at it. We've suppressed the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we're not quite sure what integrity looks like anymore. But that blunt honesty with yourself and God is so, is so necessary. You know, isn't, if I could share with you some good news, isn't it exhausting to keep up the pretenses? Isn't it frustrating <laughs> to try to give somebody the impression you're something on the outside when you know <laughs> there's not something on the inside? Can, can I share this with you? This is great news. I love this. You know what integrity does? Integrity sets you free from that silly game. 
of having to give people the impression you're something you're not. It does a couple of things. Number one, to keep up, like I said, the pretenses of who you want people to think you are. But secondly is this, is it frees you from your sin. <laughs> In fact, Proverbs chapter 5 says it like this uh, about somebody that tolerates sin. It says that they will be held by the cords of their own sin. You're basically a slave. You're in the shackles. And you know what the scary thing is? You're the one that put them on. <laughs> You're held by the cords of your own <laughs> sin. And do you know that with just humbling ourselves before him, <laughs> there's a magnificent forgiveness that you and I can experience. And I want to encourage you today that all of us need to be in a this place where David is right now. It's not just a one or a couple time event that took place in his life. You know what? This needs to be where we're living all the time. I'm constantly, we, we, we constantly need to be evaluating my heart before God. My soul is constantly in need of healing. And so I want to encourage you by way of application this. Don't try to put this front on for your boss, for your kids, for your grandkids, towards your friends, or whatever the case may be. And you might think, well, you know, integrity isn't going to keep me free, set me free. Integrity is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I mean, if I'm that honest, everybody's going to know exactly who I am, and I've got to give people the impression that I'm something I'm not. <laughs> Folks, it's just the opposite. Integrity sets you free to simply be who you are. Some, somebody that we already know who you are. You're not perfect before God. <laughs> and you're in a growing relationship with him if you know him as your savior. And so when we talk about our relationship with our kids, with our spouse, folks, don't, don't be afraid, don't be afraid to, to let them see who you are. <laughs> in fact, your kids probably already know you're not... <laughs> You're not perfect. You make mistakes. In fact, let me say it like this. You, a lot of us, this is how we think. We think, I want to, I mean, I want to be a good example to them. I want to be a good testimony to them. I want them to see what, what a good Christian looks like. Well, I, I, I want that too. But there's something else that needs to be demonstrated for them of what a good Christian looks like. It's this. It's somebody who makes a mistake or sins and then deals with it. <laughs> in a way that honors God. Let them see that. <laughs> Let them see that. And so perhaps it's a, it's a scenario with, with your mom and dad or with your spouse or whatever the case may be. Don't be afraid to go to your kids and say, you know what, guys, that was not right the way I talked to mom. And I needed to ask her forgiveness. And, to be, and I went to God and asked God for forgiveness, and I asked her forgiveness. And kids, I, I got to talk differently. That's not right before God. How else will they learn what integrity looks like unless you and I have the courage to demonstrate it to them? <laughs> Father, I do thank you for, for David's life here. For him, uh, penning 
the scenario for us. God, I pray that you would help each of us to consider our own lives on a very, very regular basis of who am I really before you, not before my friends, not before my neighbors, just who am I before you? And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to, be, to live a life of integrity before you. You have came, you've come to us, you sent your son to die so that we can live in fellowship with you. And God, help us to not forego the most precious thing that we could possibly have. That is a great peace with you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.